Welcome to the mop-up for November 4th, 2022. I'm David Feldman coming to you from an air shaft overlooking a parking garage somewhere in Manhattan where the temperature is 57 degrees and cloudy. Can't do interviews. Cannot do it. Zoom says it's Fios's fault. Fios says it's Apple's fault. And Apple says it's my fault. So going to be spending the weekend on the phone trying to solve this problem. Have to do my interviews over the phone. Do me a favor. I'm in a bad mood. Do me a favor. Please subscribe to this podcast and hit the like button. Cheer me up. Please cheer me up. Projection. 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 What is projection? It is a psychological condition when a person projects their own mental illness or fear or feelings onto others. We see this in the Republican Party all the time now. But in the GOP, it's not really an illness, uh, at least not for the people doing the projecting. It's their formula. It's calculated. Do something detestable. Be somebody horrible and then project your venality onto Democrats. They know exactly what they're doing and it works. It works by tricking their ill-informed supporters into thinking Democrats are the real bad people. And it's maddening for us Democrats. It makes us sputter and shake and say, no, no, that's you. You're that. You're the liar. You're the criminal. You're the cheat. You're that person. Not me. You're that. It's gaslighting. It's how they own the libs. They delight in this. And I still fall prey to it. It's so calculated. The Republicans know exactly what they're doing. And the people in charge of the Republican Party are laughing all the way, either to the bank or to Congress. The way it works is, what is our weakness? What are we guilty of? Okay, now project our guilt, our weakness, onto the opponent. The GOP, for example, is weak on crime. Crime and murder is higher in red states than it is in blue states. So accuse the Democrats of being weak on crime. Projection. The Republicans hate poor people. They create poor people. So accuse the Democrats of being elitists who are out of touch with ordinary folk. Projection. Most importantly, Republicans hate America. They hate everything about America, especially the people who live here. So slap an American flag on your lapel and accuse Democrats of being unpatriotic. Projection. It's really unfair because the Republicans don't believe in government. They believe in making it smaller. They have no policy other than destroying government. So they come to Washington and their job is to lie, to lie about government and to lie about Democrats. And that's much easier than actually governing. It's why when given the chance, Republicans do not keep us safe because they don't govern. COVID in America under Trump was worse per capita 
than in any other Western country. The worst per capita and in the number of people who died from it overall. Because Republicans can't govern. They can't govern because they hate the government. The Republican president before Donald Trump ignored intelligence reports, so the Twin Towers came down. He ignored weather reports, so New Orleans was destroyed by Katrina. He ignored Wall Street, so capitalism was destroyed. And of course, he ignored intelligence, the intelligence that told him Saddam Hussein didn't have weapons of mass destruction. He ignored that intelligence, made up his own intelligence, and invaded Iraq anyway. Republicans can't govern because they hate government. What they do is they mock Democrats for caring. They consider it a weakness to actually care about other people and governing, which is why Marjorie Taylor Greene is becoming a force to be reckoned with in the GOP. She has been kicked off every committee. She's been stripped of all her committee assignments. She has nothing to do in Congress. So she runs around America. She's Donald Trump's official opening act. She makes speeches. She mocks the Democrats. And now here's what's happened. She has built political capital. She hasn't passed or introduced a single bill, but she's a celebrity now. And if the Republicans get the House, she is going to be a power broker, having accomplished nothing other than being mean. That's all she's accomplished. Now, she's a joke, the same way Trump was a joke. Hey, I'm old enough to remember when my father told me Ronald Reagan was a joke. These are all stupid, lazy grifters, but they have learned to project their faults onto the Democrats. This is different. What they're doing now is different from what Karl Rove taught Republicans to do back in 2004 when they swift-boated Senator John Kerry, who was running in 2004 for president against George W. Bush, another person who I thought was a joke. Now, Karl Rove taught the GOP to ask, what is your opponent's strength? And then attack the strength, turn their strength into a weakness. George W. Bush was AWOL during the Vietnam War. His father got him into what they call the Champagne Unit of the Texas Air National Guard. That's where the sons of rich kids served out the Vietnam War in Texas flying planes. But George W. Bush couldn't even do that. He went missing and he was listed. He was listed as AWOL. Meanwhile, his opponent, John Kerry, was an almost Kennedy-esque decorated Vietnam veteran who had no problem making hay out of George W. Bush being AWOL. And this really upset Karl Rove. This is, this is John Kerry accepting the Democratic nomination in 2004, knowing that his opponent, President George W. Bush, was AWOL during the Vietnam War. I'm John Kerry, and I'm 
reporting for duty. It was tough. It was below the belt. And we were in the middle of the Iraq war, which was not going well because it had been engineered by two draft dodgers, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, who were running for reelection. And then Karl Rove proceeded to make mincemeat out of John Kerry's war record. Rove took Kerry's strength and he made it a weakness. By the time Rove was through with Kerry, the draft dodger, George W. Bush, was the war hero and the war hero, John Kerry, was the coward. John Kerry commanded a swift boat in Vietnam. If you've ever seen Apocalypse Now, when Martin Sheen goes upriver to kill Marlon Brando, he's in basically a swift boat. Kerry was injured in Vietnam, I think twice. I think he received two Purple Hearts, which when he came home from Vietnam to protest the war, he took those Purple Hearts and threw them over the fence at the Pentagon. He was the perfect candidate in 2004. The war in Iraq was going poorly. We had a war hero, John Kerry, who wanted peace. Hard to beat someone like that. So what did Karl Rove do? Well, he set up a political action committee. It was led by Vietnam vets who hated John Kerry and they made unsubstantiated claims about his war record. They challenged, of all things, his two Purple Hearts. They said he faked his injuries. They also challenged his Bronze Star. There was absolutely no proof that Kerry faked his injuries, but that didn't matter. By election day, enough Americans were misled into believing he wasn't really a war hero. And so they voted for the draft dodger, who not only lied about Vietnam, he lied about Iraq. And now the Republicans are doing something else. They take their own weakness and project it onto the other side. This is different from what Karl Rove taught the Republicans. Rove said, find your opponent's weakness and attack, find your opponent's strength, and then attack it. The new Republicans project. They, they discover their own inadequacies and then project them on to the Democrats. In Arizona, despite what Republicans insist, there is no such thing as voter fraud, but there is voter suppression. There are Oath Keepers right now and followers of QAnon, heavily armed, standing near voter drop boxes in Arizona and photographing people, harassing people who are just trying to vote. They're photographing license plates, asking questions. That is voter suppression. It's against the law. Couple this with Florida Governor Ron DeSantis locking up people released from prison who were told that they could vote. So they voted and then they get arrested for voter fraud. Now, all those cases in Florida are being dismissed, but it chills, it chills the vote. It scares people who might have a criminal record, 
who might have run afoul with the law, people who are innocent but have been hassled by the police, it chills the vote. They tend to stay home on Election Day if there's even a chance they can get arrested, either in Florida or hassled by Oath Keepers or heavily armed QAnon supporters in Arizona. It's voter suppression. It's real. It's against the law. Voter fraud, however, is not a real thing. It is a lie that is repeated over and over, but it doesn't exist. But that doesn't stop Republicans from repeating the lie that there is voter fraud. There is no such thing as voter fraud. Arizona Attorney General Mark Brinovich is the Republican Attorney General uh, in Arizona. He was on 60 Minutes Sunday night, and he said he was pretty honest. He said he voted for Donald Trump twice. He said he wanted to find evidence of voter fraud, and he tried really hard because he wanted Donald Trump to be reelected. Back in June of this year, he found evidence. He finally found evidence of one dead voter who voted in 2020. But the vote was never counted. They have ways to prevent dead people from voting. So a dead person somehow cast a ballot, but they double checked and it wasn't counted and it wasn't fraud. There was no fraud. But this attorney general, this Republican attorney general, kept the investigation going because he was running for Senate in Arizona this year and he wanted Trump's endorsement. But Trump accused him of not finding any fraud. So Trump decided not to endorse Arizona Attorney General Mark Brnovich for Senate. Instead, he endorsed uh, this guy, Blake Masters, who ends up getting the nomination to run against Arizona Democrat Mark Kelly. So now Brnovich, now he's left in the cold, right? He served Donald Trump. He kept the story going that there was voter fraud, even though he couldn't find any. But now that he's been screwed by Donald Trump, he goes on 60 Minutes last Sunday and says, there's no such thing as fraud in Arizona. There's no such thing as voter fraud in Arizona. Uh, why? He was asked by Scott Pelley, because there isn't any. He was willing to keep the idea of voter fraud alive just long enough to get Donald Trump's endorsement so he could run for Senate. But when that evaporated, suddenly he had a come to Jesus moment and came clean and said, voter fraud is a fraud. It doesn't exist. But that's what the Republicans do. They cast doubt on the electoral system when it benefits them. When it no longer benefits them, you go on 60 minutes and try to clean up your reputation. That's voter fraud. Doesn't exist. Voter suppression is real. Voters are being intimidated in Arizona right now by Oath Keepers, by QAnon followers with sidearms. They're standing outside drop boxes. This is what the Republicans are doing. This is what Steve Bannon is encouraging people to do in Arizona. It is voter suppression done by the Republicans with sidearms, with AR-15s. So the Republicans are guilty of voter suppression. Project, project. 
project. Brnovich, the attorney general, term limited out of office. He, he can't run for attorney general gun. Again, the Republican running for his job for state attorney general of Arizona is Abe Hamida. And he sees no voter suppression in the Republican Party. Here he is. Here he is projecting. Remember back during the Obama years, and you had the Black Panthers literally standing outside polling locations, um, you know, threatening people. So that's where it's you know interesting how the media doesn't highlight that. The media doesn't highlight that <laughs> projection. This is and lying. The the new Black Panthers. Okay, it's a lie. This is a story that allows the Republicans to project their crimes onto Democrats. But it's a lie. It's projection and it's lying. They're accusing the Democrats of what they're doing, right? The Republicans are accusing the Democrats or the new Black Panthers of doing what Republicans are doing right now in Arizona. Back in 2008, this is, you know, the, the media doesn't report. They report the claims of the new Black Panthers uh, suppressing the vote, but they never tell you what it actually is, what the story is. In 2008, which I think was 14 years ago, a grand total of two, two members of the new Black Panther Party stood in front of a Philadelphia polling precinct on Election Day in 2008. One of them was brandishing a billy club and may or may not have been yelling at some white people as they went in to vote in Philadelphia. Nobody called the cops. It was theatrics. Nobody stayed away from the polls. The police saw it, and you can't stand too close to a polling precinct, so they sent one of the Panthers home, and that was it. That was it. No vote was suppressed. It was a billy club not a sidearm, not an AR-15 like they have in, in Arizona. This wasn't organized by the Democratic Party the way the Republicans are organizing the voter suppression in Arizona, right? So this was 2008, two members of the new Black Panther Party, one with a billy club, standing in front of a polling precinct for what, maybe 45 minutes? The new Obama Justice Department in 2009 had to spend years investigating these two Black Panthers, right? Because the right-wing propaganda machine wouldn't let it go because it was an opportunity to project onto the Democrats the things that Republicans are guilty of, which is voter suppression. They found two members of the new Black Panther Party in 2008 who for 45 minutes stood outside a polling precinct. And this was the Justice Department had to spend thousands of hours looking into this. Meanwhile, the Republican court at the time is overturning the Civil Rights Acts of 64 and 65, protecting the, the rights of people of color to vote. Right. The, the Supreme Court is doing monumental. The Roberts Court is doing monumental voter suppression. 
But all you hear about on AM talk radio and Fox News are the, the new Black Panthers threatening white people who were trying to vote. Two, one was carrying a billy club. Uh, but the Obama Justice Department had to waste precious resources in, into examining this nonsense. Two, two members of the new Black Panther Party standing in front of a Philadelphia polling precinct in 2008. And this is what they still keep bringing up. This is what. Remember back during the Obama years, we had the Black Panthers literally standing outside polling locations, um, you know, threatening people. So that's where it's you know interesting how the media doesn't highlight that. Because it's not a story. That's Aim Hamida, who is running to be the Republican uh, attorney general of Arizona. Republicans take that story. And for the past 14 years, we keep hearing about these non-existent members of the new Black Panther Party standing outside polling precincts around America, intimidating voters. It's it's not true. It is. It's true in Arizona, but they're not members of the new Black Panthers. They're Republican operatives carrying sidearms and nobody's getting arrested. And it's projection. What are you guilty of? Accuse the other side. Accuse the other side. It is dangerous out there. Nancy Pelosi's husband got hit over the head with a hammer and the right is lying about it, and they're stoking hatred. And one of the chief culprits in all this is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is not smart. She's a dangerous idiot. But she is smart enough to deploy projection, calculated projection. Joe Biden basically said in his speech that we're the enemies of the state and he's calling us extremists. And so that's a dog whistle for violence against MAGA Republicans. And it is a continued dog whistle uh, of violence against me. She's the one who's being threatened. She's the one. She's the one. It's calculated. It's projection. Here is Charlie Kirk. He runs Turning Points. Now, we know the Republicans don't accept election results. We know they stormed the Capitol because they didn't accept the election results. We know that Donald Trump is planning to use Pennsylvania, the Dr. Oz campaign, the election, as a dress rehearsal for 2024. They're going to challenge and claim voter fraud in Pennsylvania because Republicans do not accept the results. A vast majority of Republicans say the election was stolen. They don't accept the results. We know they stormed the Capitol because of that. We know they're already saying the midterms are going to be stolen. It's a grift. It is a grift. Some of the Republicans use this grift to get elected to office. And then there's Charlie Kirk, who runs Turning Points. And he uses this grift the same way Alex Jones does, to scare people into buying literally what you're selling. 
Watch Charlie Kirk's Griff this morning. It's projection. Say it's the Democrats who are the merchants of chaos. It's the Democrats who won't accept election results and then sell something. Here is Charlie Kirk on his nationally syndicated radio show, lying and projecting. Look, we are living in chaos right now. I think it's fair to say. And hopefully Tuesday fixes that. But look, I'm telling you, if Republicans win, how are Democrats going to react? I don't know. We got to make sure you're prepared. You got to make sure you're prepared for bedlam. Make sure you're prepared for whatever might happen. And that is preparewithkirk.com. And you'll save $250 off a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, the nation's largest preparedness company. Do you have a stockpile of emergency food? If the unthinkable happens, if not, now is the time to get emergency food for you and your family. Look, you got got to check it out at preparewithkirk.com. That's preparewithkirk.com. Lowest price in three years. That's the grift, right? Convince your idiot listeners that it's the Democrats project onto the Democrats the refusal to accept election results. Claim it's the Democrats who are going to, what, storm the Capitol? Watch this again. This is, this is Charlie Kirk. Look, we are living in chaos right now. I think it's fair to say. And hopefully Tuesday fixes that. But look, I'm telling you, if Republicans win, how are Democrats going to react? I don't know. We got to make sure you're prepared. You got to make sure you're prepared for bedlam. Make sure you're prepared for whatever might happen. And that is preparewithkirk.com. And you'll save $250 off a three-month emergency food kit. Do you have a stockpile of emergency food? If the unthinkable happens, if not, now is the time to get emergency food for you and your family. Look, you got to check it out at preparewithkirk.com. That's preparewithkirk.com. Lowest price in three years. It is a grift. It is absolutely shameless. Uh, well, it has been... Less than a week since Speaker Pelosi's husband was attacked with a hammer by an intruder, and he's home today. Here is Marjorie Taylor Greene today, out on the stump, working voters in Iowa. Watch, like you, like the Charlie Kirk thing, like that Charlie Kirk thing. You can't believe what you just saw. Did you ever think you would live long enough? to hear a victim of a hammer attack to the skull get booed. This is Marjorie Taylor Greene getting her crowd in Iowa to boo Paul Pelosi. The only crime victim you hear about from Democrats in the media is Paul Pelosi. Pelosi was brutally attacked by a drugged out illegal alien that should have been deported. And Paul Pelosi should have been a gun owner and shot his attacker. I just that that is not a joke. That is Marjorie Taylor Greene, who is not a joke. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not a joke. She's clickbait, but so is Donald Trump. Marjorie Taylor Greene is an idiot. So was Reagan. 
So was George W. Bush. So is Donald Trump. Nicholas Klein was a union organizer who said during a clothing workers convention back in 1918, this is what he said in a speech. He said, quote, first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, and then they attack you and want to burn you, and then they build monuments to you. Now, that quote has been attributed to Gandhi. He never said it. He's been falsely attributed with saying something a little bit better, though, but he never said it. And I like this better than the original quote from Nicholas Klein. Uh, Gandhi did not say, but he's been quoted as saying, quote, first they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. He never said that. But it's a great line. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. Trust me on this. Marjorie Taylor Greene is an amoeba-brained buffoon. We ignored her, then we laughed at her. But by the time we're really ready to take her seriously enough to fight her, she's too strong and she wins. Do not underestimate, do not underestimate this amoeba brain. Marjorie Taylor Greene is the future of the GOP. She is a major force that has to be reckoned with. I laughed at Reagan. I laughed at George W. Bush. I laughed at Trump. I'm not laughing anymore. Here is Marjorie Taylor Greene today in Iowa. Under Republicans, not another penny will go to Ukraine. Our country comes first. Our country comes first, as long as you're white, Christian, and bigoted. I'm on my way to be a billionaire. Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really care. I have a plan to get there by and by. As long as I stay healthy and I never die. Fifteen bucks an hour, five days a week, fifty-two weeks a year, and thirty-two thousand years. I know it's a long time, honey, to thirty-four thousand and twenty. But when I get there, babe, I'm gonna be in the money. I'm on my way to be a billionaire. Now you can make fun of me, but I don't really care. I have a plan to get there by and by. As long as I stay healthy and I never die. All I really need is a second job or a third. Lift myself up my boots and join that elite herd of the 600 billionaires in the USA who make more in a second than I do in a day. I'm on my way. Yes, I am. I'm on my way. I'm on my way. 
This is Emil Guillermo. He's the host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. He's also a columnist for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. The World Series, where are we? Uh, David, you know, I got me away from the game to do this. The Houston Astros were ahead, two to one, something like in the seventh or eighth inning. If the Astros win... They go back to Houston uh, ahead in the series three games to two. Uh, now, of course, that would make them advantage because they'd only have to win one game in Houston as the, uh, you know, with the home field advantage. But the Phillies, you know, I, I'd like to see them come back because, you know, if they, if they went up three games to two, the Phillies, then it would be kind of more interesting, I think. But, I, I'm off the Phillies. I'm back on the Astros because you know who was on in, in the stands. They showed all the, the celebrities in the stands, and they showed for the Phillies Justice Samuel Alito in the stands rooting for the Phillies. So was now he booed? I'm off Did people boo him? I, I, I can't tell if he was booed or not because I think he was inside um, some kind of like a – he was in one of those elite uh, boxes, an Alito you know, box. behind glass. Ali, yes, of course, of course, and of course. Here in the uh, Guillermo household, as soon as we saw Samuel Alito, we uh, instantly uh, brought out the boo birds. So um, I'm, I was, I thought I was prone to liking the Phils, but now I'm back to the Astros. Trash can lids. Um, you know, notwithstanding, I mean, you know, the, the Astros were seen as a kind of villainous because they had some kind of cheating scandal a few years back. But, you know, I, I, I guess people have short memories and they're, they're you know, they, they are the better team, I think, on paper. And then sentimentally, mm-hmm. I, I had I, you lived two, in Houston. two years. Yeah, I lived in Houston, you know, for really two years. Uh, I dropped out of school. I was a DJ and had I stayed on as a DJ, I could have been a minor league kind of Howard Stern mm-hmm. at the, you know, because Stern was Bubba, up, Bubba the Cleveland. hate tampon you could have been. <laughs> so let me ask you about Alito yeah. and affirmative action. Big case before the Supreme Court this week. It looks like they're yeah. going to get rid of Affirmative action? Is that true? Well, you know, I think if anyone listened to the five and a half hours of Supreme Court hearings on uh, Monday, you know, I don't think anyone really knows how the justices 
will vote by the questions. I mean, you could, you know, first of all, there was this oral, you know, you couldn't see them because that's the way the Supreme Court is. They'll, they'll give you, uh, you know, they'll, they'll give you the sound feed. Um, so you can't really tell by facial expression or just how much disdain they had for affirmative action. Although Clarence Thomas seemed to be, had this uh, sense about him, like he was never satisfied with any answers. But I don't think anyone from the questions really can say how the court might respond, except by the fact that we have six conservatives and we have three liberals. And of course, that gives you a 6-3 vote. And if the if it's true to form, they will vote against affirmative action. What so is the case? The only- you've, so you've talked about this case before. It involves Harvard and the University of North Carolina? Yeah, the, the, the two schools. Uh, you know, this goes back to a, a, a well-known anti-civil rights activist, a white lawyer named Ed Blum. He's out of Virginia. What happened was he is involved in everything, overturning everything that has to do with civil rights. The Voting Rights Case, a Voting Rights Act, um, and uh, the use of race in, uh, in college admissions. He's been fighting for decades and he's he won a little bit uh, on the the voting rights act um you know it helped overturn major parts of that i think he was part of the shelby case uh and in affirmative action uh he challenged the university of texas texas v fisher and he lost and he but he knows this is a long game so after that case that he lost in 2012 he figured he was out there trying to uh, he had a, a white defendant or white plaintiff that he was representing, and he figured he had the wrong plaintiff. And so starting in 2013, he began to essentially ambulance chase for a better plaintiff. And he put ads in on the Internet saying that if you have been rejected from schools like Harvard and the University of North Carolina and, you know, and, and you feel aggrieved, you should kind of, he got people to call him back and the majority of them were asian americans mm. and 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 they were and he used them as the basis to file a new case uh under the guise of a group that he formed called the students for fair admissions sffa he sued harvard he sued the university of north carolina and it's all about the use of race in admissions and Slowly but surely, uh, it worked its way through the courts. He lost at the lower court level in Boston uh, on, and uh, for the Harvard case, and he lost at the UNC case. And this is the thing. The only thing that's changed in all the challenges to affirmative action over the last uh, 40 years is the plaintiff, in this case, Asian Americans primarily at Harvard, and the court, the makeup of the court. And with the makeup of the court, so conservative and so hardline conservative, with, with, I mean, I don't know uh, a centrist amongst the conservatives who would move over to uh, the middle and maybe Roberts, maybe Roberts, maybe Roberts, maybe Roberts, but that would still get you what five, four. And, and here's the thing in the past, it has always been, uh, one conservative or a number of conservatives, like uh, in the case of the, the Grutter versus Bollinger case, it was Sandra Day O'Connor. 
And her quote after that Bollinger case in 2003, she said uh, something to the effect that, well, you know, while we we don't really like the fact that we're allowing race preferences here, she talked about a compelling interest, but she said that maybe in 25 years, the court will find or the society will find that it's not necessary to have race preferences. And her her statement made in 2003 was really a key thing, um, a key idea that was brought up in the hearings this week. It made it sound like the justices were willing to take her up on that idea that 25 years, there's an expiration date on affirmative action, an expiration date on the use of race. It's kind of like how they it. overturn Shelby. Yeah, well, uh, you know, they're they're looking for well, they're not overturned Shelby. Shelby. They didn't overturn Shelby. How they overturned the Voting Rights Act, right? The Voting Rights Act, and and uh, and of course that 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 was what uh, uh, that that was Blum's doing. I mean, Blum was part of that as well. So you, you know, the the idea of of, of overturning affirmative action, uh, they, they can they can take a a really, um, they they could just go on this idea that okay, we have this expiration date. If the time has come, we're going to end it. They might limit it, or they might just overturn Grutter in two thousand three, and 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 by doing so, also overturn Baki and say, look, you can't use race preferences at all, and 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 then and then it would really create a kind of chaotic mess in in higher ed because they're not going to give up on the idea of creating diverse classes or diverse populations in the schools but it would mean that they would have to use a kind of a race neutral approach and i don't think anyone really knows where that can lead and you know there's all sorts of litigation that promises to come out of that if if that's the way the court goes so the court is uh, the, the court should decide by sometime in 2023, but they've heard the case. Uh, it seems like, I mean, all the headlines were the, the court seems likely to overturn affirmative action or to end affirmative action. But I, I don't think anyone really knows unless you're reading tea leaves or, or passing misinformation. So this, this uh, is a, like, not as heavy a lift as overturning Roe v. Wade, is it? Well, if they're willing to get rid of Roe v. Wade, isn't affirmative yeah, action well, low hanging fruit? Yeah, well, that, that's the thing. That, that, that's the thing. If they got rid of Roe v. Wade, then what's affirmative action? And I, I think that they would have some cover uh, because they could say, well, we'll, we'll you know, the diversity can still be a compelling interest, but we're not going to help. We're not going to we're not going to let them use race in admissions. So. Well, we'll uh, like keep you. Said. Yeah, we'll keep we'll keep focused on this. Let's turn to elections because they have consequences. Had, yeah. had Hillary well, had Hillary won six years ago, we'd be looking at a different Supreme Court, wouldn't we? Well, that is the thing. You know, I I was trying to be optimistic after the affirmative action hearings and just and say that well, okay, we if you need a motivation to vote, this here's one. You know, because like you said, uh, elections have consequences. I don't think anyone. I, I think I was I was working at as as an, an 
editorial writer in Honolulu when Samuel Alito got uh, got into the courts. And that's when I first heard the idea that elections have consequences because people were just so upset uh, when Alito got picked. But, you know, that, that he was the choice. And thank you, George I, W. Bush I, for Iraq. Yeah, I, thank you for Iraq, New Orleans, killing capitalism and Samuel Alito. Let, let's talk about Tuesday's elections. President Biden yeah. is out there on the campaign trail. Not as bad as we think he is. Here he is talking about MAGA. You know, American democracy is under attack because the defeated former president of the United States refuses to accept the results of the 2020 election. If he refuses to accept the will of the people, he refuses to accept the fact that he lost. He has abused his power and put the loyalty to himself before loyalty to the Constitution. And he's made a big lie, an article of faith in the MAGA Republican Party. Now, that is true. Yeah, it's about time, too. I mean, doesn't mention him by name, but we all know. And uh, he used it to launch into this whole idea that democracy is on the line. The stakes are high. And, uh, you know, you would think that, oh, maybe this is hyperbole. But you look at all the election deniers who are on the ballot, somewhere like around 300. And in all all categories, from offices like the Senate and, you know, Secretary of State to and the people actually run the elections. I mean, I I started feeling it when I saw that him speak from Union Station in Washington. I I began to feel just how dire this this is, and uh, I started I, I on my show. I just read read his speech. I mean, I you could you could hear him, you know, and play the audio. But just reading the speech, I think that maybe in twenty, thirty years, when people look back to see, well, what happened to America? Where, you know, historically, what what was going on when that election took place, that midterm election of twenty twenty two? They'll go back to that speech as maybe the last gasp for a call to a new kind of patriotism a new kind of patriotism where Democrats and Republicans and everyone who's concerned about America comes together and and votes, not just their conscience, but, but looks at the people they're voting for and makes sure that they aren't acolytes of the man who, in, in Biden's soundbite you played, that he was referring to, you know, that they aren't election deniers, that they aren't democracy deniers. And because I... Uh, I, I think it's maybe it may be one of those, you know, too little, too late kind of things. Maybe if he'd said it earlier, but you know, Biden's been kind of a liability and has been kept off the campaign trail. Yeah. Uh, so I'm glad he said it. I'm glad he, he he gave that speech because and he's doing what he was sold to the American people as a merchant of calm, whereas Trump is the merchant of chaos. Biden is dialing back the heat and saying not all Republicans are like this. There's a specificity. He's being very precise. It's yeah. Trump. He's asking 
a different wing of the Republican Party to emerge. Let's hear some more Joe Biden. The great irony about the 220 election is that it's the most attacked election in our history. And yet, and yet, there's no election in our history that we can be more certain of its results. Every legal challenge that could have been brought was brought. Every recount that could have been undertaken was undertaken. Every recount confirmed the results. Wherever fact or evidence had been demanded, the big lie has been proven to be just that, a big lie, every single time. It's true. It's very effective. And it's it true. Is. And, and, it, it, and he says it calmly. It gets me really upset because I don't like my intelligence being insulted. Rudy Giuliani's a moron. Eastman's a moron. Ginny Thomas is a moron. These are morons who are stealing our democracy. If you're going to steal my democracy, you've got to do it in a more elegant, a much smarter way. This is just blunt force, brute force and lies. When you look at Carrie Lake being interviewed on 60 Minutes, she's just an effing liar. They interviewed the Republican attorney general on 60 Minutes on yeah. Sunday. And he said, look, I'd love, I'm a Republican. I voted for Trump twice. I would love to find voter fraud. I can't. I try to prosecute it. I can't. It doesn't exist. And Yet yeah. they cling to this idea because they want it to be true. The same way they cling to supply side economics because they want it to be true, because they benefit if enough people think it's true. Well, it's, it's just that, but also, Yeah, go ahead. It, it's that, but it's also it's the bullying technique of, of Trump. And it's the, you know, normal people. Um, people in our democracy are being bullied by Trump and Republicans who want to win get bullied into uh, kissing the ring and, and going along with Trump. I mean, Kevin McCarthy, you know, a you know, classic example uh, and, and, and other election deniers who are running. And I, I just I just feel like America is being bullied and it's it's. To your point about you know this not this isn't a very elegant way that they're doing it, but it's it's really by brute force this this forceful rhetoric insisting that the truth is a lie, and or that the lie is the truth. Right, right. I've heard so friends kind of, friends of mine have said, "Well, relax. It's not going to be that bad because big business won't tolerate it." They'll, they'll save us. They'll rein in these these fascists. And I thought, like they did with Nazi Germany, we can't even get big business to rein in the oil companies. We have a much bigger threat than Donald Trump. Climate change, climate catastrophe. Big business isn't, it's, they're making it worse. The idea that somehow Wall Street, the markets, aren't going to approve of... A, a lurch towards fascism is just hogwash. They're going to sit back as as long as they're making money, they'll keep their mouths shut the same way they're keeping their mouths shut with climate crisis. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we see how how they react, and they'll be favored. Uh, they, you know, as as long as their pockets are lined, they don't seem to act. Although I I know that sense. 
that sense for, for people who have this faith that we're we're going to get through this. We're going to be OK. Some because, people will get uh, look, some people will get through it. Some people got through right. slavery. Some people got through the look, Civil War. Some people got through the Holocaust. Not every well, some people know, got David, through Vietnam, but not everybody. David, you know, the the, the uh, you know they'll say, "Look, it's the long game." And but but you know this that's is what they the used thing. to say. That's what that's what you tell the four million Laotians who got bombed to death by the CIA. It, Hang in there; it's yeah, the long well, game. It, well, this is the thing. Uh, you know, I think part of if we if. I, I'm beginning to dread Tuesday. I'm beginning to dread the election because it, uh, part of me says, okay, if if the good guys lose, uh, who knows? Who knows what's coming? But how are but you live in California? Not, so do you, how well, much, how well, badly can you be affected by all this? Well, you know, the, we're, we're still part of the nation. We haven't seceded. But you can, still get I mean, an, you can still get an abortion. You can, it's still relatively neoliberal, you know, which is better well, than fascism. Well, that, that's true. But look, um, you know, you, you don't have to drive far from San Francisco to be in what I call the red part of the blue state. I mean, it's there's still enough. There are people here who are no different than the people who you will find in the Midwest who are Fox viewers. So it's not all like this 100 percent you know, uh, Nirvana sort of thing here, but, and we're, and we're part of the country. So we have to worry about things like Medicare and, and right. social security. And we have to worry about all the things that can happen at the federal level. So, uh, you know, on, on the one hand, I think maybe we can weather it a little better in California, but on the other hand, Hey, we're, we're part of the country and yeah. there's some things that we won't escape. The stupid and the scared are taking over. Yeah. One last clip. Yet now, extreme MAGA Republicans aim to question not only the legitimacy of past elections, but elections being held now and into the future. The extreme MAGA element of the Republican Party, which is a minority of that party, as I said earlier. Yeah, you know, I've been contacted by... Are you there? Yeah. Yeah, I've been contacted by listeners who just discovered the show, they're Republicans. They see Marjorie Taylor <laughs> Greene and, and Trump. They're, yeah. they're not MAGA. And I think it's a smart move to appeal to the Republicans' better angels. I think Biden is kind well, of smart Well, that's here. an approach. That's, that's an approach. But I'll tell you what's going to be the savior on Election Day. It's going to be the same thing that saved him, put him over the top, in 2020, really, it's going to be the black, indigenous, and people of color who go out and vote. And if if the if the black community, you know, mobilizes and turns out, that's going to be a, a tremendous segment. If the Asian Americans come out and 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 vote, that'll be a tremendous segment. If the Latinas and the Latinos are split, there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of conservative Latinos. Um, you know, if, if they if they all turn out instead of thinking, oh, it's midterms, it's not the president, uh, it's not the, you know, it's not the big general, uh, we can skip this. Because there's a lot of people who are like part time, they're part timers when it comes to democracy. You know, they'll mm -hmm. vote for the big thing. 
This yeah. is the main event. This is the historic main event. And the stakes are, are high. And that's why this democracy speech couldn't couldn't have come at a better time because we come into this final weekend. People have already I voted today. I, I, I went out and I voted. I made sure I, you know, my I didn't even put it through the post office. I, I'm a vote by mailer, but I made sure it went into a one of those, you know, iron boxes that they have at a city hall near me. And, mm-hmm. and I put it right there. And uh, it's an important this is an important election. Uh, and it may not be like the, the spike that kills democracy, but it's going to determine a path or a direction that we'll be in if if the side if the wrong side wins. And so it's it's critical. And I I've been following these things, you know, we've been following these things for a long time, uh, just in our lifetimes. And forget about history, but just uh, in the last forty years, I, I don't think I've seen anything really this this urgent. So uh, Biden a couple weeks ago said, you know, we're, we're going to see some different swings, even, you know, at the last minute. Uh, let's hope he's right. I mean, you know, the polls are just snapshots in time. So we and, and they're, they're lagging indicators. So we don't know exactly where we stand. Let's hope that the uh, the lie factor that you know, sometimes people lie to pollsters. Sometimes they they lie when people ask on the phone or, you know, they're asked their opinion. They'll they'll say something and then they'll go in, you know, when they mark their ballots or they go behind, you know, the the voter machine. Do they still have voter machine? They'll 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 tell the truth there. Republicans, Republicans don't answer their phones. They're suspicious of anybody asking them questions. They don't want anybody to know who they're voting for. They're. There could be a red wave simmering that we don't know about. And well, that's the thing. Just like, you know, when people said, you know, during the Trump polling. Right. So where, where did this come from? Right. They, they, they we didn't see it coming. So, yeah, this, yeah. this is the part. This is the problem with polling, though. I mean, you, you think, you know, or you think you have a, a good sense, but we could be totally surprised. And. Um, every all the tight polls are so you know they're within the margin of error. So uh, who's to say what happens on on Tuesday? And then even then, we may not get everything until you know like Wednesday or Thursday. It, it takes time to to count. Yeah. Uh, before you fragil- go, the fragility. Be- be- yeah. yeah. Before before you go, they talk about yes. a civil war. It's not going to mm-hmm. be a civil war in this country. What you need to pay attention to is the racism, the anti-Muslim, the anti-Semitism, the hatred of the LGBTQ. Everybody in this country, Democrats and Republicans, live among each other to some degree. You can't have a civil war. There isn't a Mason-Dixon line. But what you can do is what they did in Cambodia, what they did in Germany, and that is demonize people's sexuality, their race, or their ethnicity. And that's where we're heading if the MAGA people are in charge. There isn't going to be a civil war. There's going to be frightened members of the LGBTQ community, frightened Jews, frightened Arabs, frightened Hispanics. We already have that 
and it's going to get worse and worse and worse until certain people start disappearing, get locked up. David, David, when you said that, it gave me chills because, you know, Asian Americans have been feeling this ever since a former president, when he was president, used the uh, phrase Kung Flu and China virus. You know, people have been attacking Asian Americans the last two and a half years. And there are, there are Asian Americans of a certain age who won't go out in the streets because they're, they're fearful. And that is kind of, I think, a test run for what might happen under the scenario that you just presented. That's what it looks Only, like. That's, it's not like a civil yeah. war where Georgia fights New York. It's, uh, it is, but it's, it's, go ahead. But it's a, it's a civil war in the sense that we are fighting ourselves, that it's America fighting itself. And, you know, I, you know, I, I've been doing a lot of meditation, um, within the last couple of years that that's helped me deal with some of this anxiety and some of this, this, uh, anger that I might ordinarily have felt or have exhibited, say, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years ago. I'm trying to approach it with a certain amount of calm. And uh, the hard part is looking at the people who are coming at you with hate with a certain amount of love. You've got to, you know... I don't want to get. But look, I'm not ready to love these people quite yet. I I, I know this, like Kanye. This is the hard I, I don't part. like the idea of uh, you know exchanging ideas with Kanye. Yeah, There's nothing I, to I'm exchange. Not a, I'm, I'm not a big Kanye fan either. I, yeah. I'm just saying that this this is the struggle that that if we want to get to. Uh, and this goes back to what Biden was saying, right? He was saying, "Look, you, you got you." You, you can't you can't abandon your country just because you've lost, right? And, you know, he, he was trying to say essentially what what Obama said, you know, many times during his tenure. You know, right. we're on the same team. Yeah, and 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 I think Biden was making the case for team democracy that we're we're here together. If you're a Republican, you're a Democrat. We can all vote against the election deniers we can all vote for democracy and we can all vote for against the things that you were just saying could happen if the wrong people get elected and there are people like me who who think god damn it i don't want to be fighting for democracy what am i in in kindergarten (laughs) i want to be fighting for medicare for all and unions income inequality and going after the, the the richest one percent it's partly Biden's fault that, and Clinton's fault and Obama's fault that democracy is on the ballot because they didn't provide enough for the 99% that are falling to the charms of fascism because the Democrats offered nothing in return. They didn't offer populism. Trump did bad populism. So, you know, this is Biden's fault. All that being said, uh, we still have to fight the fascists, and Biden, yeah. Biden is better than the alternative. Yeah, this is, it's, look, 
you know, even when you win, there's still struggle. Even, yeah. you know, but we're, uh, we got to wrap it just, up. We got to wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, thank you, buddy. I love you. Uh, we'll survive. Some people will survive. Some people will survive. Yeah. Others won't. And the people who write history say, we survived. And I say, no, no, a lot of people didn't survive. Emil Guillermo is a columnist for ALDEF, the Asian American Legal Defense and Education Fund. Read him over there. He's the host of the PETA podcast, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. And Emil's takeout, Emil Amuck, can be Yeah, watched. Emil Amuck's takeout. Amok.com. A-M-O-K.com. A-M-O-K.com. Thank you, Emil. Thanks, David. Love you too. Sorry to 